Well, good morning. Would you please join me as we thank the Schneider family, our first Advent family of the season. Well, it's good to be together. To everyone here, those joining us at our online campus and our Bush Lake campus, it's uh, just a joyful time to, to gather together. My name is Zach, and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors. And as we saw in the video with the Schneider family, towards the very end, they held up a portrait. It was kind of like a family portrait that they have together as a family. And today we are kicking off this new Advent series called Revealed portraits of God. Uh, we want to see these, these portraits and these silhouettes of, of God, of Jesus in our lives. But before we dive in, just a quick word around Advent. Okay, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. Okay, say that with me. Say Adventus. Oh, come on, a little bit more. There it is. All right, good. And Adventus means uh, coming or arrival. And typically we think of uh, Jesus's arrival in terms of his first arrival, his coming as a baby born on Christmas. But historically, Advent also symbolized and signified Jesus's second coming, his futuristic coming when he will reign supreme and he'll usher in all things new. And, And so that's really what we're after in this Advent season, to see the portraits of Jesus revealed and on display. Now, we're going to be walking through the book of Revelation to see all these titles and topics of Jesus. And I don't remember the last time we did an Advent series on Revelation, okay? I'm, I'm jazzed for it, though. It's going to be a lot of fun. But as we look at the book, we're going to see titles of Jesus like how he is the, the lion and the lamb, how he is pastor and shepherd, how he is the bright morning star. We're going to see all these portraits of Jesus. Now, when we think about portraits, why are they so important? Well, I'm not really one that's an artist or a drawer or a sculptor. Uh, I mean, I do a, a really mean stick figure. That's about the extent of my artistic creativity. But what I appreciate so much about artists and painters is that they really bring what's in our imagination and what's in our heart, they bring it to reality. Uh, They really put brush to canvas. And you can learn so much about the subject matter and about the artist as well, based on something so simple as the color palette chosen. I mean, think about it. Uh, You can see warmth and joy or sadness and depression based on that color. You can see themes and motifs uh, of war and strife or joy and calm and peace. And so that's really what we want to see. We want to see the portraits of Jesus revealed to us. We want to see Jesus in new and profound ways. In fact, my hope and prayer for us in this series is that when we lay our head down at night, that our hearts will be uh, enlarged, our, our minds will be amazed, and our spirit will sit in awe of Jesus. But why do we think about this? Why is this so important for us? Can I just ask a a brief question of you? Have you ever felt like you found yourself in a rut when it comes to your faith? Okay. Do you ever feel like you're just kind of going through the motions? Uh, You know, it's just kind of the same old routine, the same rhythm and rhyme. We walk into Christmas and it's like, here we are again, the lights, the present, the music, it's all the same. Our hope is that we can see and behold Jesus this Advent season in brand new ways. And so today we're going to be looking at Jesus as the title of Alpha and Omega. Maybe some of you have used that phrase before. You've thought, okay, what does it mean to say Jesus is Alpha and Omega? That's what I want us to look at today, this beautiful title of Christ. 
And as I mentioned, we're going to be walking through portions of Revelation. So today, our anchoring text is Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Uh, But to warn you, we're going to be covering a lot of scripture. There's going to be a lot of scripture um, that we're diving into today. And so I want to invite you to pull out um, your teaching notes there. You know, maybe you can jot down some of those references as we're going. But as we look at Revelation 21, we'll see three key points Uh, to give you a roadmap. We'll see, first of all, uh, Jesus as the Alpha, We'll see Jesus first and foremost as the Alpha. Second, we'll see Jesus as the Omega. And then third, we'll see Jesus as the beginning and the end. Okay, these are the words of Jesus in Revelation. So I figure what better way uh, to outline our message than to actually take Jesus's words uh, and and utilize that as our roadmap. And so what I want to do, first of all, is I just want to jump into Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Now, it's a long passage. I invite you to hang with me as we walk through it, but I want you to see this entirety of, of this portrait on display for us. Okay, let's take a look at Revelation 21 together. It says this, <clears throat> Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What a great promise. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. It's a profound passage. But what I really appreciate about it is the opening words. It says, um, and behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down like a a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. Now, these words are reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, whenever it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, it's as if God is bookending the Bible uh, with this similarity. But whenever we look at Genesis 1 and 2, um, we're not far off from Genesis 3, which is the fall. It's, it's when sin enters into the equation, whenever our world becomes fragmented and fractured, it becomes chaotic and disordered. But here in Revelation 21, uh, we see that Jesus is the alpha and that Jesus is making a new heaven and a new earth. And so whenever we think about Jesus as the alpha, I think we could ultimately say this, Jesus creates and recreates. Okay, Jesus as the Alpha, he creates and he recreates. Now, why is it important for us to call out this idea of Genesis 1 and 2 here in Revelation? Why is it important that these words echo and reverberate throughout the entirety of Scripture? Uh, Well, I think it's important because whenever we come to our faith, there's something that's so central to our faith that I think a lot of times uh, is disregarded. And the reality is this, the, the thing that's so central to our faith is that Jesus was there in the beginning with God, because Jesus is God, okay? Whenever we come to our faith, though, today, there's a lot of people who I think might assume their faith is all about ethics and morality. 
It's all about the external behavior. And the way that this then rolls up into our faith, into our portrait or our view of Jesus, is that I think a lot of times we just see Jesus as a good moral teacher or a good teacher of ethics. And we stop right there. That's the safe portrait of Jesus. That's the safe picture that we can view of him. But when we think about our faith, our faith cannot stop there. Our faith cannot stop at saying Jesus is just a good moral teacher because we have to acknowledge and affirm that Jesus is fully God. He is fully divine and he is full in his deity. Because when we think about this crucial part of our faith, we say Jesus is fully God and fully human. Now, why does that matter? Because for us, when we say Jesus was fully God, it's for us a reality that Jesus reveals the character of God. So if you're ever sitting there and you're wondering, okay, what is the character? What is the demeanor of God? How does God respond to us? We just look to the person of Christ. And within Jesus, within his earthly ministry, we see that Jesus was loving and kind and tender and compassionate. But he was also holy and righteous. He was above all else. He was all wise and he was gracious in all things. If you want to know about God, just look to Jesus. He is the picture that we can see. But not only that, with him being fully human... He is our mediator. He is our representative uh, standing before a holy cosmic judge and really representing all of humanity to that judge. And he can uh, assume the penalty that, that we deserve, that we should have received, but not just for you and for me, but for all of humanity of all time. That's why it's important to say Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. So that's whenever we say, you know, Jesus is the alpha. He creates. But what I appreciate about this point it's the fact that he doesn't just create, he also recreates. He's in the business of making all things new and making all things right. And this is important because whenever we walk into this Christmas, this Advent season, I think that there are kind of two people, two, two camps that we can a lot of times find ourselves in. You know, for some, we, we just walk into Christmas with just excitement and anticipation. And, you know, maybe for some, you know, it's like you, you get out of bed early in the morning and you rush down to see what kind of presents are under the tree. You know, maybe for some of the dads in here, any, any dads doing that, you know, you got more excitement than the kids? No, just me? Anyone? No? All right. But then there are other camps that we walk into Christmas with fear or sadness or loneliness. Because this season is one that we are celebrating for the first time without a loved one. And whenever we think about this, uh, whenever we think about creation, Genesis 1 and 2, we can't separate it from the, the memory of Genesis 3. That our lives are fractured and fragmented, disorderly and chaotic. And we are constantly butting up against unmet expectations in our lives. Jesus not only creates, but he recreates. He's here to make all things new in the future, but he's also here with us right now. And when I think about Jesus as the alpha with us right now, there's a promise that I lean on a lot of times, and it's this. He holds it all together. Okay, I'll say that again. He holds it all together. Whatever unmet expectation, whatever fragment or fracture that we're dealing with right now, he holds it all together. And for us, there's a, a passage that comes from Colossians that really elevates how Jesus is preeminent. He is the Alpha. He was there in the beginning. But not only did he create, but he recreates and he holds it all together. Colossians 1 says this, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things. And here it is. And in him, all things hold together. And so for us, maybe some of you right now, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I am so overwhelmed with everything that's going on. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm overwhelmed with my job, with the the nine to five. Hear this promise. He holds it all together. Maybe for some of you, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, my relationships, my family members or my friends, there's just so much difficulty and I'm just so overwhelmed with it. Jesus holds it all together. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, my health or my loved one's health, it is failing and I don't know how many days I have left. Jesus holds it all together. You're sitting there and it's like, man, the bottom is falling out. Uh, the, The storm is too much. When it rains, it pours. Jesus holds it all together. He is the alpha. He is the great originator and the initiator. He creates and he recreates. And Jesus holds it all together. That's our first point of seeing how Jesus is the alpha. But now we come to our, our second point, which deals with Jesus as the omega. And, and so we go back again to Revelation 21, verse 3, to see how this is elevated. Uh, look at what it says. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, when we think about Jesus as the Omega, okay, this is going back to the Greek alphabet, that he's the Alpha and the Omega. I think it's a lot cooler okay, to use the Greek alphabet because it'd be one thing to say Jesus is the A to Z, Okay. But holding on to that Greek alphabet is so important because to say that he's the omega, he's the last letter in the alphabet, it's like saying Jesus is uh, the bookend of all things. It's like saying Jesus is the exclamation mark. It's, it's saying Jesus brings order to our chaos. And we know this because we see what's being said here in Revelation 21. It says, Jesus, at the end of days, he's going to wipe away every single tear. It's a beautiful picture of tender love and compassion. And then it says there's not going to be any more pain, no more mourning, no more weeping. All of the ailments, they will be gone. All the chaos and the disorder and the frustration that you and I might experience on a day-to-day basis or on a seasonal basis, those things will be gone. And so friends, where's the pain that you're navigating? Where's the hurt? Where's the mourning? Where's the crying? Christ is here with us. But it's not just saying that Jesus is the exclamation mark. It says that Jesus also has the final word. He has the the final say. In fact, here it says that um, at the end, death will be no more. I like to say a lot of times, death will meet its death when Jesus is reigning supreme. And this is what ultimately we can say about Jesus as the Omega. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate victor and champion. Okay, to to see Jesus as the Omega is to say Jesus is the ultimate victor or champion. And and there's nothing that's outside of Jesus's control or his view or his wisdom and foreknowledge. Okay, Jesus is the ultimate victor and champion. And so what are you experiencing? What are you navigating right now? Is it it pain? Is it loss? Have you experienced frustration? Or have you experienced discomfort? Uh, We said earlier, Jesus is fully God, but we also acknowledge that Jesus is fully human, that he enters into the story and he knows our pain. 
He knows our hardship. He's walked these roads with us. And yet, though he's done that, the beautiful part about it is that he is victorious, that he stands as champion. And so a verse that gives me confidence in this is Philippians 2. It says this about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we look at this, Paul, the the author here, he's saying, uh, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I love the specificity. Okay, so if there's any confusion about which knee will bow, he's, he's, he's clarifying it for us. Every knee, every tongue will confess. Even the tongues that don't confess that Jesus is Lord, those tongues will confess and say, man, he is Lord, he is King, he reigns supreme. And so when we think about how Jesus is fully human and he's fully God and he enters into the story with us, Emmanuel, God made human, the reality is that there is nothing that Jesus hasn't experienced that we haven't experienced as well. And yet Jesus, as we see here, comes out as victor and champion. And the beautiful part about it is he gives us that promise as well. So here's what we can think about. Uh, we can begin to see this applied into our lives. Now, I need a little bit of help here, okay? Would y'all mind helping me preach this sermon, okay? I'm from the South, okay? So when I say preach, you gotta say it like preach. You gotta say it out of the side of your mouth a little bit. <laughs> That's not in the script, I promise. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> but here's what I'm gonna do. Whenever I give you the signal like so, you're gonna say, he was victorious. Let's try it, okay, you ready? Oh, that's good, y'all. With deep conviction, let's go. Okay, let's think about everything that Jesus experienced that we experienced too, okay? Has anyone ever experienced temptation? Okay, nope, just me, yep. Okay, when you feel tempted to do something that you shouldn't do. Yeah, think about Jesus, okay? 40 days, 40 nights, he was in the wilderness, he was worn out, he was fatigued, and then he came face to face with Satan himself and he experienced every single bit of temptation and yet... Okay, good, good. Now we're rolling, now we're rolling. Let's keep after it. Has anyone ever had a desire to get revenge for when you got stabbed in the back? Mmm, yeah. No one wants to admit it. (laughs) Think about Jesus. Okay, if there was anyone who could have exacted revenge to the umph degree, it was Jesus. He could have done it on Judas and all of his disciples who kind of ran away and left him. And yet Jesus took the high road. In that moment, he was... That's good. That's good. But let's get a little serious for a moment. Because the reality is that every single one of us at some point in our life will look death right in the face. And when we look at the picture of Jesus, when we look at his portrait, we realize that he did the same thing. He looked death in the face and so good. Sit in that truth. But the beautiful part about Jesus is that we don't just say he was victorious, but now we can also say he is victorious. Man, y'all are with me. Come on, y'all need to get up here and preach with me, all right? When we think about Philippians 2, it's, it's the reality that every knee will bow, every tongue confess, everything will acknowledge that Jesus is true and ultimate victor and champion in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm and in the realms below because Jesus is the omega He enters into the story and there's nothing that we haven't experienced that Jesus hasn't experienced and he's come out on the other side as victorious and he gives us that promise of his victory and righteousness in our lives as well. Uh, That's our second point, the omega. 
Now we come to our third. We've seen Jesus as the alpha that he creates and recreates. He's the originator and the initiator of all things. He's fully God. And that he's the omega. He's the ultimate victor and champion. But now we come to this third point, which sees Jesus as the beginning and the end. Uh, so what is it that Jesus can really do whenever we put our faith and trust in him? It, it's quite remarkable because we see Jesus not only in the past as the alpha, we not only see him in the future as the omega, but we see Jesus presently with us now engaging in our narrative as well. Uh, let's go back, Revelation 21, verse six, to see what Jesus does in our lives. It says this, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit. Remember that word. They'll inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Okay, Jesus says, it is done. It's reminiscent back to the words that he shared on the cross when he says, it is finished. And then he goes in and he says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus is creating the new heavens and the new earth. And then he's saying, death is no more. And then he says, I'm gonna give you a cup of water. He says this to the thirsty, I'm gonna give you water to drink. It's quite peculiar, is it not? It's like, man, you just like did all this cosmic, amazing, awesome stuff, and now you're going to give me a drink of water. Well, what are you getting at, Jesus? Well, I think Jesus is referring back to Psalm 42, uh, where it says, King David says, As the deer pants in the wilderness, so too does my soul thirst. My soul longs for you, O God. It's as if Jesus is saying, I know your soul is fatigued. I know you're worn out, but here I am. I'm going to quench your thirst I'm going to give you all that you need. And then he goes on and he says, those who are victorious, uh, they're going to inherit all of this. I mean, we just learned about how Jesus created heavens and earth, how pain and crying and mourning and death, those things are no more. We, we saw how Jesus creates and recreates as the alpha, how he is the ultimate victor and champion as the omega. And then he says, you will inherit this as well. He's saying all this stuff that I just did, it is your inheritance for those who have faith and trust in Christ. And he says, you're going to be victorious over whatever is before you because of the victory of Christ. And so when I think about Jesus as the beginning and the end, I think the reality is this, that Jesus is a God of fresh starts. Okay, he's a God of new beginnings and he's a God of endings that are necessary. I, I would ultimately say our third point is this. Jesus gives us new beginnings and necessary endings. Okay, Jesus gives us new beginnings and necessary endings. Let's unpack this briefly. We've already seen how Jesus takes care of us physically and emotionally, but how about spiritually? Uh, how does Jesus take care of us spiritually? Uh, well, let me just ask you, are, are you coming in today with maybe a little bit of spiritual baggage or spiritual weight that you're carrying. You know, I think whenever we see our lives in the Western culture, a lot of times we are bogged down with this feeling of guilt and shame. It's as if our, our faith is all about holding this ledger and this ledger is just dripping with misdeeds and misfortunes and, and, and missteps and misfires and all things. And so because we live in a Western society in which there's such a, a performance and an achiever base, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to achieve and I'm going to perform and I'm going to do all these good things over here. And maybe, just maybe, it's going to cover all of these bad things over here on this ledger side. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we look at ourselves in the mirror at night, 
that guilt and that shame won't go away. And we end up asking the question, when is enough really enough? But we can sit in the promise given to us in Christ. Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And just in case you're confused, the new is here, exclamation mark. I mean, let those words ring in your heart and in your mind. Uh, that the old has gone and the new creation is here. And, and what it says in Revelation as well is it says that whenever we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are now adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. That the old is gone, the new is here. And the reality is that we can't just snap our fingers and then all of a sudden we're a new creation. It's for those who are in Christ, for what he's done on our behalf. But I know, I, I get it. Sometimes we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, but I don't know how to live into this new creation. I still feel like there's something that's bogging me down or, or pulling me back. And that's why I say sometimes it's a necessary ending. Now you're probably sitting there like, man, that's harsh. Are you gonna have me like break up with somebody? Like what does a necessary ending mean? Well, I think it's just a number of things that are holding us back or that are hindering us in our faith. Let me give you a couple examples. Maybe this resonates for some. Uh, maybe for some, you need to have a necessary ending to an incorrect view of Jesus. Okay, maybe some need to have a necessary ending to an incorrect view of Jesus because as we mentioned earlier, maybe some of you think of Jesus simply put as a good ethical, good moral teacher and then your whole faith is wrapped up in morality and ethics because you have to follow suit with this model that Jesus lays out for us. Here's the reality, we can't follow Jesus perfectly. You know why? Because he was perfect, plain and simple. And so we strive and we, we, we move towards this model of Christ. If that's you, you need to have a necessary ending of seeing Jesus simply as an ethical moral teacher. And you need to have a new beginning of seeing Jesus as Alpha and Omega, as Lord and a Savior. Uh, maybe for others of us though, maybe you need to have a necessary ending when it comes to religion. Maybe your faith is, is wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts and all of the, the, the rules that we see when we need to have that necessary ending and receive a new beginning to just sit and be with Jesus. Maybe for some, we need a necessary ending of religion and we need to have a new beginning of being in relationship with Christ. Maybe for some, you need to have a necessary ending of seeing your faith as a performance and an achievement thing, and you need to begin sitting and being with and living like Christ. Maybe for others, you might stumble on the question, can God really love me? Or can God really utilize my talents and my treasures for his kingdom purpose and his kingdom gain? You're so bogged down by your past missteps and misfires that you can't imagine God loving or accepting you. And so for you, you need a necessary ending whenever you have thoughts of worthlessness because of your past and you need to begin seeing yourself as worthy because of Christ's work and righteousness in your life. Can I be honest? There are times whenever I struggle with these thoughts where I'm just like, yeah, I need to put away that, that old and I need to see and behold Jesus for who he really is. And a passage that I go to from time to time is Colossians 2. I love it. It's real, it's gritty, it's raw, but here's what it says. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, what is, what is the author, Paul, what is he getting at here? He's saying, what were you previously? You were dead in your sins, but now because of Christ, you have been made alive. You once carried this, this legal debt that you couldn't pay yourself, but guess what Christ did? He took it and he nailed it to the cross. And then he says, if you have any sort of sense of worthlessness or condemnation, if there's anything that's speaking that into your ear, uh, the reality is that Jesus, being the Alpha and the Omega, uh, made a public spectacle of them. He said that they know longer have power because he nailed that to the cross too. He pulled them out into the public square and he said, they have no power over you. Somebody amen that. That's what we can see whenever we say that Jesus is the author of new beginnings and necessary endings. That's what we can ultimately have our hope and our trust in. And so friends, I just invite you to reflect on it. Where is Christ calling you to put a necessary ending to bed and say yes to a new beginning that he's giving us? I hope and pray that in this series we can begin to see Christ in new and profound ways as these portraits are revealed to us. Uh, We've seen him as the alpha, as the one who creates and recreates, the one who holds it all together. We've seen Jesus as the omega, as the ultimate victor and champion, the bookend of all of time, the exclamation mark. And we see that Jesus is the God of fresh starts giving us a new beginning, saying you are a new creation in Christ. And he's saying the old is gone. There is a necessary ending for you to see Christ in new ways and to walk in the news that he has for us. So friends, may we see Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, That as we learn in the Advent reading, John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word put on human flesh that Jesus, being fully God, also became fully human. And he stepped into our reality. He stepped into our world. That he is the alpha, the one who creates and recreates. That no matter what it is that we are experiencing or going through, we can cling to that promise. The preeminent Jesus, the one who holds it all together. And that he is the omega. He's the victor and the champion. He has the final say. That he's fully human. He enters into the story with us. And there's nothing that we have experienced that he hasn't already been triumphant over. And he is here to give us a new beginning. And so may that new beginning be true for us today. May we say the old has gone and the new has come. For we are a new creation in Christ. And so, Lord, we just ask that in the coming weeks that we will see you in new and profound ways, the depths of beauty and the richness of who you are and what you've done in our lives. Be honored and be praised in our lives. We pray all this in the beautiful and matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.